Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. We are continuing on in our study of Luke, and we're going to take a, after today, we're going to take a turn back to the beginning of Luke since we're entering into the Advent season. We're going to look at the first couple of chapters uh, of Luke in the coming month or so as we get through uh, Advent, Christmas, and so forth. And uh, we started this study of Luke around Easter time, so we did those passages leading up to Easter. So we're jumping around, but we're going to be in Luke for a while. But here we are at the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 10 of Luke tells us, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. May God bless the reading and hearing of this holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us this morning. Well, we're all looking forward to uh, a feast today uh, after the worship service. And we're all looking forward to, I'm sure, a feast on Thursday as we celebrate our civil, civil thanksgiving holiday and gather around with most everyone gathering around with friends and family and uh, having a feast and that's appropriate for certain and uh, there's these are one of my thanksgiving is one of my favorite meals i I love turkey and dressing and and all the the trimmings and and uh i always overeat as most everybody does Uh, we enjoy that feast and uh, i'm looking forward to it myself but I can't imagine uh, what a thrill it would have been to be at this feast that we've just read about from Luke's Gospels, recorded in all the Gospels for that matter. What, a, what an exciting, uh, interesting opportunity to see Christ do this wonderful miracle and to, to be there on the shores of the Lake uh, Galilee and to, to see Jesus provide for these people out in the desolate place outside of Bethsaida. What a treat that would have been. And Luke is telling us this today because this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is sandwiched between uh, Herod's question in verse 9 where he wonders, who is this about whom I hear such things? Who, Who is this person? And then... You have that on one side in in verse 9, and then you have Peter's response when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? In verse 20, he says, the Christ of God. Who is this? Peter says, the Christ of God. So Luke here in his 
telling of the life of Jesus, he's helping us understand with certainty the truth about who Jesus is. So many people were saying, as we looked at last week, that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead, or Elijah, or one of the other prophets. Even Herod Antipas, the governor over that region, he had formed a theory, albeit a false theory, about the identity of Jesus. But Peter and his fellow disciples have it correct. Jesus is the Christ of God, the anointed one, the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. It's, a, it's the uh, Greek version of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And it means the anointed one, the one promised and anticipated for centuries who would bring redemption to God's people. Peter says it, you are the Christ of God. He confesses it, and the miracles that Jesus performs proves it. The miracles demonstrate for us the nature of the kingdom of God that is breaking into the fallen, sinful, broken world. Jesus the Messiah came to conquer sin and evil and all that flows from it, the brokenness of life, sickness and death. Jesus came to bring life as it was meant to be, abundant life. And he tells people as he began his ministry that the kingdom of God is at hand and he's proved it by doing these miracles that we read about in the Gospels. So the people were there and being fed by Jesus at this miraculous feast. They are getting a foretaste of what it will be like when Jesus returns and fully ushers in his kingdom. It will be a kingdom of abundance and feasting and joy. So the passage shows us that Jesus is the Christ of God, the Messiah. And it also shows us something about the nature of his Messiahship. What kind of Messiah he is and what it's like to be a part of his kingdom. What can we expect by being, being a part of of Christ's kingdom under his rule. Well, first, let me show you how this passage shows that Christ is the Messiah. Well, you notice that uh, Jesus here is in a remote place. If you look at the four different accounts of this uh, feeding of the 5,000, uh, all of them tell us that he, he went to Bethsaida. Uh, it was some place outside of Bethsaida, a bit remote, and that's why the people have nothing, nowhere to stay or eat, because they're kind of out in a, in a, a desolate place. So Jesus is there in this remote area, and what we see here is he feeds a large amount of people, 5,000 men, it tells us, plus women and children. One commentator suggests that as many as 20,000 people were there. Now, we have no way of knowing that for sure, but 5,000 men, usually there will be women and children along as well. 5,000 is a lot of people. 20,000 is even more. But this is reminiscent of something. It's reminiscent of how God, through Moses, provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness during the exodus from Egypt to the Promised Land. Moses was in the desert, and the people needed food, and God provided manna in the wilderness. And here's Jesus 
in a remote place, a wilderness place, and he's providing bread and provision, food for the people that are gathered there. In fact, if you read John's account of this miracle, it states that the people made this connection. They recognized that something was happening here, and they, they were thinking about Moses when Jesus feeds the 5,000. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, John tells us that when the people saw the sign that he, he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, they, they rightly identified Jesus as the Messiah, the promised prophet king, because they, were, they knew their Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses prophesied concerning Jesus. It says, the Lord your God, or Moses wrote, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And of course, that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And the people say, Jesus, this Jesus, he's the prophet. He's the prophet that Moses was talking about. So they were right. They also understood that the Messiah would be a king, but they were thinking more along the lines of an earthly king that would whip the Romans. We need a guy to come and get us out of Roman oppression. But Jesus didn't come to be a political leader, and so he withdraws, realizing that they're just about ready to make him king by force. And that's not why he came. But Jesus is that prophet like Moses. He's doing the same thing that Moses did. But he's greater than Moses. He's the ultimate prophet, as the writer of Hebrew tells us. Hebrews 3 Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So Christ is greater than Moses, and he's doing the same things that Moses did. Jesus feeding the 5,000 is not only reminiscent of, of Moses in the wilderness with the manna, but he's also reminiscent of Elisha, the prophet, who performed a similar act in a time of famine in Israel. 2 Kings chapter 4 uh, tells us that a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God, that's Elisha, bringing him bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. 
So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. It sounds a lot like what Jesus did, didn't it? The same sort of thing. Just like Elijah, Jesus took Elisha, Jesus took a small amount of food, fed a large crowd until they were satisfied, and still had some leftovers. Elisha fed a hundred men. Jesus fed five thousand plus women and children. Well, this is just one episode from the life of Jesus, one argument of many that Jesus is the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king of kings and lord of lords, the Savior. Do you view him as such? Have you thought through the implications that this has for your life? If he is the Messiah, how should you respond? Luke's telling us emphatically that he is. Well, let's keep on going because the passage tells us not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but tells us a lot about the nature of Christ's reign as Messiah. What can the citizens of his kingdom expect? Well, the first thing we see here is that Jesus is a welcoming Messiah. Now, in the previous section of Luke that we've looked at in the past, Jesus sends out the disciples with power and authority to cast out demons, to preach the gospel, and to heal people. Verse 10 tells us that on their return, the apostles told them all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now, Mark's account of these events in chapter 6 of his gospel gives us a bit more detail about what's going on in, in those sentences that I just read. Mark tells us that so many people were coming and going to the disciples that they did not even have leisure to eat. They were just busy healing people and talking to people and preaching the gospel. Well, everybody needs a vacation now and again. Even Jesus withdrew to, uh, to be off by himself, to refresh, to pray. The disciples, I'm sure, were looking forward to some R&R. They'd been on the road traveling around in the country, uh, you know, going to village to village, healing and preaching and teaching. And so they are looking forward to going out into this retreat area outside of Bethsaida, several miles from where they were, but it was not to be. The crowds followed them. Perhaps they took the boat, it was about a four-mile uh, sail to Bethsaida. And as people saw them, they, w they went along with them. The other accounts tell us that it was during the Passover time, so there would have been a lot of people on the road traveling towards Jerusalem. Well, they see Jesus, and they're all chasing after him, looking forward to hearing more about what he would say and, and seeing the, the wonderful signs that he would do and find healing for their sicknesses. So the disciples are disappointed. Have you ever been looking forward to some time away and maybe a night out or a, or a vacation and your plans were interrupted by someone or, or an emergency or something came up that frustrated your plans? It can be a frustrating experience if you are weary from traveling from place to place as the disciples were undoubtedly and constantly in demand from people and here they are trying to get away 
yet more demand from more and more people. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 11. It says he welcomed them. He welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. Jesus welcomes the crowd. The Greek word for welcome means acceptance and approval. He accepted them. He didn't begrudge them. He, he was all for them, all for them coming to him to hear about the kingdom of God and to find healing. He welcomed that. Mark's account says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we wonder and question whether Jesus has time for our needs. Maybe you think that, that God is weary of me. Well, the scriptures paint a different picture. Jesus is not, you know, if, if, if Jesus and the disciples were not weary now, they're never going to be weary. I mean, they've been working and working and working. They don't even have time to eat. And yet Jesus welcomes them, and he continues on serving them. And that's just like God, isn't it? Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob... And speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So people were saying, you know, God doesn't care. He doesn't see what I'm going through. He obviously has turned a blind eye to my needs, and, and the things that are right are not happening in my life. And Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Lord never slumbers nor sleeps. He doesn't ignore his people. Yes, we may have to wait on the Lord from time to time. We may have to wait for that answer to prayer, but that doesn't mean that God has, is ignoring us. God has always our best interest at heart. And we see that here. He knows what's best for these people, and he welcomes them into his presence. Jesus invited the great crowds into his kingdom with all of its benefits. And that's the same, that's true, this, just the same today. It's true for you today. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Jesus is always reaching out to us and wants to have fellowship with us. Maybe we, we have a deeper fellowship with him sometimes in the, in the trials, in the suffering, in the struggle. But he is a welcoming Messiah and also a sufficient Messiah. And perhaps this is the great, uh, the great takeaway from this passage, that he is sufficient. The people that were there did not have anything to eat, 
except for the five loaves and two fish of the, that the young boy had. The disciples did not have enough food or money to provide for these people. Philip says in another account that if even we had 200 denarii, that's about half a year's wage uh, for, for a working person. Uh, even if we had that much money, we couldn't provide food for all these people. So the people didn't have the resources, the disciples didn't have the resources, but Jesus does. Jesus provides. With Jesus there, that which is impossible becomes possible. Jesus has the disciples seat the people in groups of 50, and when he blessed the food, he gave the food to his disciples to distribute to the people. Alexander McLaren says, The pieces grew under his touch, and the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. I love that sentence. The, the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. Jesus' hands are always full for us. He is all we need. You think about all of his other miracles. They, they show this. The water turned into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. It's overflowing, healing people over and over and over again, casting out demons to those who are oppressed, feeding people as we see here in the feeding of the 5,000 and then again in the feeding of the 4,000, even raising the dead back from life. Jesus has all the power to supply everything that we need. So Jesus has, yes, he has the power to supply your needs and even more than that, he has the wisdom to know exactly what you need. Now, sometimes what we think we need and what Jesus says we need are two different things. But he is the one who knows exactly and perfectly what we need. And he supplies that for his people. Well, the greatest need that we have, of course, is for salvation. We're lost. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Redeemer, and Jesus provides that. He gives bread to these people here in the feeding of the 5,000, but his whole life, he is the bread of life. He gave himself for his people so that we might have life. He provides his, himself as a sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. He is the one who provides it. When we had no resources, no resources at all to be acceptable to God, you can't be good enough to earn favor with God. We're sinners. We're stained. And God is holy. But through Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed. And we can be reconciled with God. And that's the only way that that can happen. Jesus is the one who provides that. He is a sufficient Messiah. John's account of this miracle says that the Jewish Passover feast was near. So many of these people, as I've mentioned before, they were pilgrims going to the feast. Now, significantly, it was just after the Passover, some 1,400 years earlier, when Israel entered the Promised Land under Joshua, that the manna ceased, the manna that was provided through Moses, that God provided through Moses now, just before the Passover, the Lord miraculously supplied bread to the 5,000 and more significantly provided Christ. 
the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this miracle is one of the first miracles that speak to the sufficiency of Christ's life for our salvation. His atoning death on the cross is sufficient to save from sin all who come to him. And that's why Paul would triumphantly say, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So no matter what we've done, no matter how much we have sinned, no matter how far short we have fallen, you know, some people, I was a high jumper in, in college, and I could jump high. Uh, and there were other guys on the team that were really good long jumpers. Think about the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been out there. That's a, that's a big hole in the ground. Now, I wasn't a very good long jumper. I tried it a few times. I could jump up. I couldn't jump out for some reason. Now, if you've got two guys, one who's like me, who can't jump very far, and then, say, uh, a professional long jumper like Carl Lewis back in the 80s who could jump almost 30 feet in the air. I mean, you both can jump out across the Grand Canyon, but you're both going to end up in the same spot, on the bottom of the Grand Canyon, in a puddle of bones and brokenness. Some people might be better than others in the moral sense, but we're all going to fall short, and we're going to end up dead without someone helping us get to that other side. Getting us to the other side, and that's what Christ has done. We all fall short, but Christ is sufficient. He's provided everything that we need. We just need to come to Him, recognizing that we can't do it on our own. We need Him. We have no bread. We have no provision. We need His provision. And those who are His have this further reassurance that everything that we need for our lives, Christ provides. Everything that we need, not everything we want, but everything that we need. We have the wonderful promises. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, Jesus is sufficient for anything you face. Bereavement, a broken heart, loneliness, rejection, depression, poor health, all of these things. Jesus is sufficient. Paul had problems, and he went to the Lord time and again asking for help to, to, to have these problems removed. We don't know exactly what it was, probably a physical illness of some sort. Maybe some people gathered that it was probably his eyesight. But the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's exactly what happened with the disciples. Jesus was making a point to them. You feed this group. I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying to your, you and saying, you know, you've got 5,000 people here. Well, you provide for them. And what are they going to do? Well, they said, we can't do that. We don't have the money. We don't have the food. And one of the other gospel writers tells us Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what he was about to do, and he wanted to make a point to the disciples that they didn't have the resources to do this, but Jesus does. And that's what he's doing with Paul. 
Jesus, you just, you've got to depend on me, Paul. I want you to consider that if you're his child and maybe you're going through a difficult time and you wonder why is it not getting better. Well, it, it's, a, it's a call like the disciples had to depend upon Jesus, to depend completely upon him, to provide what you lack in that situation. Now, some people gave to Paul in his ministry. Philippians were particularly generous to, to, to Paul. They were enduring poverty, yet they gave to support Paul through his imprisonments and through his ministry. And Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, he thanks them for the gift that they've given him, and he gives them this promise. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You think of that young man with the five loaves and two fishes, and he, he offers that to the, to the disciples. I mean, if I were there and I had my little lunch, and I was like, you people, uh, you know, you're on your own. I got mine because I planned ahead. When I was hunting a couple of weeks ago, we had a rainy day, and uh, I was the only one who had waterproof pants. And it was cold, and everybody else was suffering, and I was just so proud of myself. And so warm. It was great. But this boy offers up what he had, and of course Jesus turns that into the great provision that he makes for everyone else. And, and it's a picture of what the Philippians did here. They, they gave what they had, and maybe even what they didn't have. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. You can continue to give, even when you don't think you have the resources to give to me, and I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. So I want to encourage you today, in your prayers, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God will supply every need you have. If you just continue to be faithful to him, to do the things that he calls you to do, and to walk the path that he has you on, and to trust him in all things, he is sufficient. He will provide for all your needs in Christ Jesus. He's provided already his son. He's given us the ultimate gift of salvation through Christ. How will he not also give us everything that we need for our lives? If you don't know him today, I would encourage you to turn to him. Turn to him because he's all that you need. Let's pray together. Once again, Lord, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you for providing the word for us, Lord, so that we can know these things and, and, and hear these things and, and trust these things. Lord, I pray that we would all turn to you and put our trust in you today, and we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.